Welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with your host, Eddie Rye. Uh, we have a star-studded lineup today, and I want to get started right away because this gentleman has so much information about bringing some equality to African descendants of the United States enslaved. Uh, his organization is in the forefront, and I can't wait to become a member. Uh, I know Larry Gossett already is, so I'm talking about none other than uh, Dr. Ron Daniels, who is president of the National Association, uh, National African American uh, Reparations Commission, and uh, he's been doing work around the country. So, uh, Dr. Ron, thank you for being here and taking the time out. So, if you could share with our listeners in Seattle and around the country uh, exactly what the commission is, how long you've been at it, and uh, we'll talk about uh, some of the success stories and how people can get involved in their local community. So, welcome again. Well, it's an honor to catch up with the legendary Eddie Rye because uh, we've been trying to connect for a while and uh, really appreciate so much what you do. And of course, the uh, fruit doesn't far, fall very far from the treats of trees. So I've had uh, the pleasure of also working uh, with your uh, brilliant uh, daughters uh, at the CBC and beyond. So the National African-American Reparations Commission was actually formed in uh, 2015. Uh, though I've been working on reparations most of my life. <clears throat> I was a dear colleague and friend of the late John Conyers, who was the champion for reparations uh, in the Congress of these United States of America, having introduced a bill uh, to study whether or not reparations were wanted in 1989, H.R. Uh, 40. And that bill was patterned after, uh, interestingly enough, uh, the Civil Liberties Act of 1988. And I referenced that because there are many, many Japanese Americans who were in the greater Seattle area who were very much involved in getting <coughs> reparations for Japanese Americans. And so we've been struggling around reparations for many, many, many years. H.R. 40 has actually been changed uh, to a bill that's no longer about studying reparations, but is uh, with the support and um, engagement of NCOBRA, which is the uh, National Coalition for Blacks uh, for Reparations in America, uh, and the, the bill has been changed now into what we call a remedy bill. So we're not now studying whether or not reparations are warranted. The bill reads um, to study, yes, uh, but to develop reparations proposals for African-Americans. And so the National African-American Reparations Commission uh, is a body that is helping to educate and organize people around passage of H.R. 40. But in addition to that, we have a 10-point reparations program, a 10-point reparations program, which parallels actually the reparations program of the CARICOM Reparations Commission in the Caribbean, uh, among the Caribbean nations, which is an extraordinarily important development. That program we see as being a model for uh, a, and a frame of reference for reparations for people organizing around reparations all across the country. So HR 40 is something that we work on. Uh, the, the reparations program is something we educate around. And then we are very much involved in helping to push out and help to support local reparations initiatives. So it was the National African-American Reparations Commission that actually certified Evanston, Illinois under the leadership of uh, the very brilliant and courageous uh, sister, uh, former alderman now, Robin Ruth Simmons. Uh, Evanston as a model for reparations initiatives all across the country. And as we speak, literally almost every day, some local community is surging forward uh, with um, dealing with reparations on a, on a major front. So reparations is no longer an esoteric issue. 
uh, by the way, we should just say to the listening audience, all reparations is, it is the repair for damages inflicted upon the people, injuries that have been inflicted upon the people by another uh, people or nation, which are subject to be repaired. I mean, reparations, the root word repair, and the process is simply to acknowledge and the first and foremost, to apologize, but apologies without repair is sort of idle. And so then we're engaged in the process of ensuring that people are made whole, or at least there's some effort to make people whole on the basis not of what people would like to do for them, but on the basis of what they're prepared to accept. So reparations is um, not only for enslavement, by the way, it is for all of the derivative uh, post-emancipation racially exclusionary policies. Like in, um, in uh, Seattle, the, the redlining that took place in the Central District, which decimated that district, that, that would make, that's eligible for reparations. So I just wanted to outline that and to say that I was also delighted to have spent a lot of time, you know, two or three months actually uh, working uh, with folks, uh, a range of people in Seattle to talk about the possibilities of a reparations initiative uh, there in uh, Seattle. Uh, you know, the former mayor, for better or worse, or for whatever her intentions were, Jenny, uh, Jenny Durkin, Ms. Durkin, uh, reached out to the National African American Reparations Commission by way of Jeffrey Robinson, the former uh, deputy legal director for the ACLU, to express an interest in doing a reparations initiative. Our posture was we would not do it with the mayor. <laughs> we would have to go to the community and talk to people in the community. So we underwent really a very, very extensive process of talking to all kinds of people, uh, you know, from different categories of, you know, different classes and political beliefs and so forth on the ground, many of whom I'm sure you know all of them because they all know you, but certainly uh, one of the persons who was very helpful was Larry Gossett, who will be holding us a, a webinar tomorrow. Uh, he's a longtime friend and ally. He was very instrumental. Uh, Marsha Aranga, uh, who is the, I think, the dean of uh, out at Evergreen College, had a major symposium. And so we just reached out to a lot of people who were very, very uh, Waikine with Africatown, uh, just a range of people who had really intense interests, really, in building out a reparations uh, program in, uh, in, in Seattle, because Seattle, like so many cities, has different things that make it eligible you know, for a reparatory justice initiative. But unfortunately, or fortunately, whatever the case might be, the mayor decided that she would step down and therefore that sort of, you know, nipped it in the bud, except to say that one of the persons that we actually had a very productive conversation with was Bruce Harrell. Uh, he reached out, uh, we spent some extensive time together. I think he had me speak to something called, I think the Esquire Club, if I recall correctly, he had a great conversation with them. Well, Esquires, that's right. Yeah, and so, so the, the point is that, you know, we've done some engagement with Seattle and we look forward to hopefully under his tenure, him reaching out to say, let's go. And, and you know, you mentioned the redlining and uh, uh, when that report was released in 1973, I chaired the Central Seattle Community Council Housing Federation. I was director of the education program at camp and we released that first report in 1973. Uh, Seattle, Chicago, San Francisco, and I think Boston were real active uh, in terms of fighting redlining. So right. that's, that, that is accurate because between redlining and not having affirmative action in this state uh, for the last 23 years are contributing factors to uh, 
the mass exodus of black folks out of the central area of Seattle, which was the strategically the most uh, the most strategic property in the whole city because you're 10 minutes from downtown with public transportation, colleges, universities, medical facilities. And we were just forced out the same thing with the housing projects. Yes, the terrorists. Oh, they'll be able to move back. No, they won't. It's all high rise condos. So so uh, I'm definitely interested. So what do you, uh, I, I do know Marsha Tatarunga real well. And I know Larry and I are real good friends. And we've worked together on several issues over the past several decades, I must say. What would you suggest uh, to local people? Is there information they can access? Like when they finish, we finish doing this interview, they can go somewhere, yes. log on and get the information they need uh, to get caught up to speed with you. Well, they can, and they can go to the IBW website, which is IBW21.org, and they will see the Reparations Resource Center. And that Reparations Resource Center is the most extensive online reparations resource center literally in the world. I mean, you will find reports from all over the country. And we would call people's attention specifically to Evanston because Evanston has actually done it. And they have actually put forth a program. Uh, actually, it was based on redlining as well. I mean, the, the first um, a part of it. And by the way, the kind of work that you did, uh, 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 Eddie, uh, is crucial because you have the documentation. You have, as Malcolm would say, the documented evidence of what actually took place. That was the case also uh, in, in, in Evanston where they actually took us and showed us the route, you know, where people have been pushed off their property. So you can go to the website, ibw21.org. You can see the 10-point program. You can see the CARICOM reparations pro program. You can hear reports of people from Asheville, North Carolina, from Providence, Rhode Island, San Francisco, Los Angeles, I mean, all across the country, people are, are, are bubbling up and pushing for local reparations because what, what it's doing is excavating, you know, the, the people think of multi enslavement. It shows all of the kind of structural institutional racism that has decimated communities all across this country. So IBW21.org is the website where you can go and just put in the, the, the keyword reparations and you'll have days of information that you can uh, you can uh, navigate through. Yeah, I have my technology expert also put it up on the Urban Forum Northwest website as well. Uh, uh, you know, recently uh, I read where a uh, uh, multi-million dollar beachfront property in Los Angeles was returned to a black family. I think it was the Bruce family, uh, the Klan and, and, and uh, the bigots forced them off their property. Uh, this was like in the 20s, and they they returned that property to them. Have you heard of any other instances where property has been re, uh, returned to uh, Blacks who have lost it through uh, racial discrimination? I haven't, but but there is there is a push on to to deal with those circumstances, and that that's an excellent example of what happened up south because everybody thinks that this is if you know everything was down south, right? And by the way, California has adopted. A, has a, a HR 40 type reparations commission that is that passed with uh, bipartisan support. Uh, a, a, uh, the Secretary of State Shirley Weber was then a, a head of the Legislative Black Caucus helped to push that through. It's been passed into law. And so they're actually doing, they're beginning to do an examination of those kinds of issues. The point that needs to be made there, as you would know, is the intergenerational loss of wealth. 
Uh, I recall what they said that property is worth now. It may have been three or four million or maybe more, but can imagine what that would have meant because they had a recreational center there. It was like a hotel. Well, who knows, but that was the basis for a Hilton Hotel, Marriott chain. I mean, that was our possibility. And so that was a very, very important development. And we, uh, we have other places around the country, the most notable of which is Greenwood, the Greenwood District of Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, Black Wall Street. I mean, all of us, uh, would certainly want to see uh, reparations uh, be uh, warranted there because who? I mean, you can you can. I mean, all across the country, you begin to see what how black people's growth was stunted by what Dr. Uh, Julianne Malvo, who is on our commission, calls white economic envy. Those black folks, what are they doing with this? I mean, you look at the district, like you're saying, and and at up south in, in in Seattle. I've been to the that central district. I hear people proudly talk about it. I mean, and then people get pushed out, you know, to various other places and then bump up against white supremacists in the, in the, in the suburbs. And, you know, that's where the Ferguson's of the world happen and so forth and so on. So there's an effort to deal with that. And by the way, one of the things that's happening in the, these infrastructure bills uh, that people should know about is the Biden administration has actually been very sensitive and has been sensitized to the issue of what happened with Negro removal. And we know what the Negro removal program of the 20th, 19th, 20th century was, that was urban renewal. That went straight up through black communities that separated our communities and so forth. They are now going back and looking at some of those communities and trying to figure out, they can never return them to what they once were, but trying to figure out some way to make restitution and figure out how to build those communities back again. So that is a part of uh, of some of the work that is being done that's tucked into uh, these infrastructure bills that they've been fighting about, but are now moving forward within uh, the Congress of the United States. And we're dealing with issues like that right now. We call it, they call it urban renewal. Re, re, uh, renewal. I call it black removal. Right. And uh, we have an instance now where uh, Reverend Dr. Robert L. Jeffrey, senior pastor of the New Hope Missionary Baptist Church. We talked to him. Founder, founder of the Black Dollar Days Task Force. Oh, yes. Clean anyway, uh, in the early 60s, uh, they forced the pastor and church to sell one square block of land right across the street from the church for $31,000. Mm -hmm. And so we've been trying to convince the current mayor to return that property. And I had one reporter called and said, Eddie, would that be reparations? I said, no, sir, that would just be justice. I said, <laughs> reparations when all Black folks, African descendants of the United States enslaved are taken care of, then that's the reparations. But an individual act of justice is not reparations. That's just justice. Right, right. Well, well, let me just quickly also say about the Evanston program. One of the things that it was that it was good about that program was they actually tapped into the recreational marijuana monies because what's happening is we bore the brunt of the war on drugs. Now that the war on drugs is being, you know, is is you know, we we fighting against it. There's legalization. We're being told that we can enter the industry, but most of the time we don't have the resources to ask to get a license and so forth and so on but a multi-billion dollar industry is being built. So what they did in Evanston was, it's a relatively small program, $10 million over 10 years, but they're tapping into the first dollars of that recreational marijuana money in order to fund, to, to, uh, to fund that, uh, that reparations program. And the first thing that is happening is um, there are payments to, the, to eligible residents for, for home improvements, to get a mortgage. In other words, to help build back some wealth. It's modest, but nonetheless, it is reparatory justice. And that's outstanding. So I'm hoping that you've already talked and planted the seed in Seattle. I do know Marsha, 
Ateteranga and uh, Larry Gossett. Uh, I do respect their leadership and their insight. And so whatever they put together, uh, I'm sure I would like to have them on real soon or soon as something comes. When will you be out in the Seattle area? Well, I don't know when I'm coming, but I'm hoping soon. But I, again, I, I will be there virtually tomorrow uh, okay. because uh, Larry Gossett is sponsoring um, a region-wide um, a region-wide webinar tomorrow, which I think is two o'clock uh, uh, Pacific time. It's five o'clock my time. So okay. people can tune into that seminar uh, being hosted again by Larry Gossett. Uh, he's got a team of people he's working with. And of course, Larry is, is Mr. Progressive. He's been on the battlefield for many, many, many years like you and trusted, reliable, capable, and able. And we're willing to do whatever we can in order to advance the cause there um, in, uh, in, in Seattle. And certainly, Again, we, we met with a lot of very, very uh, good people on the ground who were interested. And you're waging some really courageous struggles out there in, in a liberal city. It's interesting, these cities that have these liberal reputations, like, like Evanston, that's Northwestern, right? You wouldn't, I mean, <laughs> up south, liberal, they still have big issues in terms of, of structural institutional racism. Except for the brothers on the basketball and the football team. Right, oh yeah, you can, you can <laughs> dribble. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, uh, what kind of uh, support or, or conversation have you had with the Congressional Black Caucus? Well, the Congressional Black Caucus is, is very much uh, spearheading under the leadership of uh, uh, Congresswoman Sheila Jackson-Lee. She is the lead sponsor on HR 40. I mean, she is leading the charge um, uh, with what we call a Why We Can't Wait campaign. And by comparison, under John Conyers, uh, we were using it as an educational bill. So we had about, we never had more than 50 sponsors. Today, we finished our 67th strategy group session, a meeting with the staff of Congresswoman uh, Sheila Jackson Lee, but also the American Civil Liberties Union, Center for American Progress, Human Rights Watch, uh, the uh, NAACP and COBRA. I mean, a broad coalition of folk uh, got together and um, in that regard, uh, we now have 195 co-sponsors and another 14 who say that they will be willing to, um, to vote for it if it hits the floor. So we're on the brink. We're knocking on the door. The as, you say that, that, as you say that, Dr. Daniels, we've been joined by uh, Congressman Hank Johnson. Hank, Hank Johnson, from, Atlanta, Georgia. I know the brother. Okay. He's a good friend of Ambassador Joe Beasley, who's a dear friend of mine. <laughs> All right, good, good Dr. to be Dr. with Ron you. Daniels, singing high praise to you, brother. Well, and Ron Daniels, give Joe Beasley a call. He's been a little under the weather. Oh, lately. no, no. I'm, I'm, I, I talked to him the other day. I'm headed that okay. way on November 30th. We're going to have a little sit down at his place. So he's feeling enough to, well enough to host me on November 30th. We're coming your way. But he is a great supporter of you. And you and I have met on different occasions. We've been talking about reparations. Um, certainly you have been a great supporter of HR 40, but also engaged deeply around the struggle in Columbia and, and working on those issues as well. So we're just really, really proud of your leadership. Well, thank you, Ron. And good to see both of you. It's good to be seen too and not yep. <laughs> viewed. Yep. Uh -huh. <laughs> okay, That's well, right. Brother Ron, I want to thank you for your time today and I'll get with Larry so that I can make sure that uh, I'm on the webinar tomorrow at two o'clock and I'm going to make sure I get that information on my Facebook page to invite interested parties. We have quite a few here in Seattle, in Martin Luther King Jr. County, I should say. All right. Yeah, well, yeah, that's that's an interesting thing, too. Let me just quickly say something about that, too, by the way. There's a brother out of St. Louis who has something called the Beloved Streets Initiative, which we're hoping to push with the Biden administration, by the way. 
And what he discovered is that you, you have counties, but the cities, every city, almost every city has a Martin Luther King Avenue. But what he found out was most of them are dilapidated, rundown <laughs> avenues. He has an idea of taking those avenues and making them beloved streets, corridors of economic development. He started in St. Louis, and we're hoping to get that done all across the country. So we're hoping that's an idea we can also push out because gentrification has replaced urban renewal as the black removal program of the 20th, uh, the 21st century. And so we're also working on that issue as well. So once again, thank you so much for being with you. And again, go to the website, ibw21.org, ibw21.org, and you'll find out a tremendous amount of information on reparations and related issues. Well, Dr. Daniels, when you come to Seattle, you can hardly find any blacks on our Martin Luther King Street. Martin Luther King Way is the whitest Martin Luther King Way in any major city in the country. So I just want to share that with you. That's gentrification. That was that's called black removal. All okay, right. sir. Thank you very much. Okay, Congressman Hank Johnson on the on the, the House Infra Transportation and Infrastructure Committee. You just signed a real big bill. You got it through. Even had some uh, Republicans who have been threatened right now for voting for it, but. Uh, what will that do to our committee? And I know you're also working closely with our account member of CBC out of the 10th Congressional District over in the Tacoma area, Maryland Strickland. So congratulations on getting that done, sir, and holding people accountable in DC. We really appreciate the work you do. But give our listen, listening audience uh, some kind of idea of what this infrastructure bill will do for them. Yeah, the uh, bipartisan infrastructure bill that we passed two weeks ago tonight uh, was a $1.1 trillion investment in uh, America uh, to uh, build a stronger, more resilient economy and to bolster our supply chain. And we do that by investing money in ports, streets, bridges, um, airports, railways, transit, broadband. And so uh, a host of, um, of um, expenditures to accomplish the rebuilding of America and in the process, creating millions of new jobs. And these jobs will be uh, good paying jobs, often union jobs. And, uh, and so we are also looking to um, put uh, our uh, climate footprint in order. Uh, we're spending, we're doing too much carbon pollution of our environment, which is contributing to the global warming and the climate change. And so it's a need for us to invest in new ways of uh, powering uh, vehicles and uh, all other forms that use energy. And so uh, this, uh, this investment in the bipartisan infrastructure deal uh, will create a cleaner, more sustainable environment for us. We're investing in um, um, a um, uh, the modernization of the electric grid so that it is more resilient and that it uh, uh, is uh, not failing like we saw in Texas last winter where uh, cold weather uh, it just caused uh, the overloading of the system down there. They thought they 
were ready for it, but they were not. And those kinds of things can happen throughout America. So uh, $73 billion to uh, revamp our uh, uh, electric grid system, uh, $7.5 billion for um, things like electric buses for our school students, and another seven. $7.5 billion that will construct about 48,000 electric vehicle charging stations as we uh, convert or transform from uh, the internal combustion engine, which requires gasoline, into uh, uh, the explosion of uh, electric vehicles that's coming our way. And so we got to lay down the infrastructure to support that uh, kind of change. And uh, and, I, and as I said, um, uh, just creating massive opportunities for good paying jobs. That's what that bipart that's what the bipartisan infrastructure deal that we passed will do last week, literally rebuilding America. Uh, so many places don't have transit. I don't know uh, how transit is out in Seattle, but I know in Atlanta, uh, we could use a heck of a lot more uh, public transportation, 65% of the workers, and many of those are essential workers, use public transit to get to and from work. It's so expensive to um, uh, purchase and maintain a, a vehicle, the purchase cost, the insurance, the maintenance, uh, you know, not to mention gas. And so, People don't have the money to invest in cars. They need to be able to ride transit to get to and from work and uh, to school. And a $73 billion investment in, uh, excuse me, a $39 billion investment in public transit, the largest uh, uh, expenditure for transit on record in the history of this country. So it's, it's got a lot of good stuff in there, uh, Mr. Ra. Mr. Well, you know, um, we might have the transit, but what about, uh, I guess that comes in the next package because, uh, you know, we fought for $15 an hour, but if you're making $15 an hour, you can't afford to get to work and pay for childcare. And that seems to be a big stumbling block uh, on a lot, especially for the uh, women in the country, uh, the, the, the cost of childcare. And hopefully uh, this next package will get past Mansion and, and go into law. What is your prognostications on that? Well, I feel real good about it. We'll be voting on the Build Back Better soft infrastructure, human infrastructure uh, bill. It's, uh, it's a $1.75 trillion bill, maybe even a little bit more than $1.75 trillion. But it is an investment in uh, people. Most uh, importantly, uh, on women, women are the uh, primary caregivers. They're taking care of the children, they're taking care of the elderly, and oftentimes um, they cannot get out from under those responsibilities and go to work to, to help support their families. And so this Build Back Better bill is an investment in soft infrastructure. That infrastructure being, first of all, the $300 per month child tax credit, which is actually a tax cut for uh, working people and for people who, um, who um, need uh, help with feeding their families. And so if you've got 
kids, you have an opportunity to uh, to get an extension of this um, child tax credit, which actually runs out at the end of the year, the $300 a month that folks have been getting per child under the age of six. And then I think it's $150 a month per child between six and 17. Uh, those payments will continue under Build Back Better. Also, uh, there will be uh, opportunity for free pre-K and also affordable childcare so that women uh, can get their children either in daycare or in pre-K uh, at a, and pre-K will be free, but uh, there will be subsidies so that uh, the cost of childcare does not eat into the, the budget like it does now. That'll enable more women to get to work. And then on the other side of the coin with uh, our elderly people, home health care has been so expensive that it's been unaffordable. It will become affordable under uh, the Build Back Better plan. Subsidies will go to, to help Americans uh, be able to bring in personnel who can take care of, uh, of our grandmothers and our mothers and fathers who are elderly, who are still living with us, that'll be covered. And so things like um, uh, um, uh, uh, money for, uh, this is going to create um, millions of new jobs in and of itself to be able to accommodate the increased demand for child care services, pre-K teachers and the like, uh, home health care professionals, that's money and that's jobs. And so in addition to that, um, uh, in Build Back Better, also additional money for electronic, uh, for electric uh, vehicle charging stations uh, to uh, also up, uh, continue to upgrade the grid. Um, there is an investment in um, uh, making Medicare accommodate uh, home uh, hearing, uh, benefits for hearing, um, uh, increased Medicaid. We're not calling it Medicaid, but for all of the, the uninsured people who cannot afford uh, uh, what they call Obamacare. I call it the Affordable Care Act. But yes. for those people who uh, live in states that have not accepted Medicaid expansion, there is an opportunity for them to get coverage under the Affordable Care Act without having to outlay any money because they can't afford it. So- Congressman, hey, can you do me a favor? Can you hold on, hang on with me for a minute? I just need to take a break. Can you had a couple sure. more minutes? Okay, sure. Eric, while we take a break, while we hook up Representative Johnson and Dr. Ife Williams. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. 
seattletacoma.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seatacshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill in the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. You found us. Maybe you've been guided to listen. Alternative Talk 1150. All right, Eddie Ride back at Urban Forum Northwest. We're trying to hook up Representative Jesse Johnson and Dr. Ethe Williams. We're talking to Congressman Hank Johnson out of uh, 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 DeKalb County, Georgia. He's also he's on the Transportation Infrastructure Committee. He's also on the House Judiciary Committee. And our member of the CBC, uh, Congresswoman Marilyn Strickland, will be a special guest for our Thanksgiving Day program. And she's also on this Transportation Infrastructure Committee, which is a very powerful committee. Uh, they will be looking at uh, $1.2 trillion that's going in to repair infrastructure. But what I don't understand, Congressman, I remember several years ago during the Trump administration, there was a uh, $1.2 trillion package that went to the top 1%. And it was rumored that uh, the CEOs and other uh, ranking officials gave themselves bonuses and bought back their stock. And I don't recall Joe Manchin or Christian Cinema if she was there saying anything about it. Can you uh, share with our listeners a little bit about how that transpired? Yeah, it was the 2017 uh, Trump tax cut that was rammed through. It was actually a total of $5.8 trillion that went, uh, 83% of which went to the top 1%. And then uh, to, to prevent there being a $5.8 trillion addition to the debt, to the long-term debt of the nation, uh, a tax increase was put into the tax cut. And that tax increase totaled about $4.5 trillion. And it was uh, taxes on the working people of the country. And so the net impact was about $1.3 trillion given away to the top 1% with a uh, increase in taxes uh, placed on everybody else. And so uh, this uh, Build Back Better that we're getting ready to pass is not 5.8, it's not uh, 1.8 is actually $1.75 trillion and it's all paid for. So things like lowering the uh, child care and family care costs, along with, um, uh, you know, a uh, four weeks of, 
of paid family leave that's in this package. If you're gonna, if you have a sick loved one, you won't have to lose wages because you can't take off work. You will be able to take up to four weeks of paid leave. Uh, these are investments in people. Um, even cutting the cost of post-secondary education and money going to HBCUs and minority serving institutions to bulk up the ability of those institutions to train and retrain our people for the coming jobs that, uh, that are ahead. Those are the kinds of investments being made by the Build Back Better soft infrastructure, human infrastructure bill that will pass tonight. Okay. And wanna, yes, we did not give. We give my engineer give. a shout out. Would you put a call in the Dr. Ife Williams, Eric? Thank you. Sorry about that, Congressman. Okay. And we didn't hear from um, those who are now talking about uh, how expensive things are and whether or not they're paid for or not, and not wanting to give a tax increase to those who can afford to pay more. Those are the ones who are going to pay to make Build Back Better. Um, uh, revenue neutral. And in fact, Build Back Better will probably add money to cover uh, the debt that was made up with uh, the tax cut that went to the 80, 83% of the 1%, 83% went to the 1%. So uh, we're doing some great work with the Build Back Better. Got to get it through the Senate though. And that, I, I'm, as, uh, in terms of, we're finding out now, Joe Manchin is a millionaire. He also, I guess, owns a coal company, so he's against the, uh, any climate kind of uh, legislation. But, uh, you know, uh, Democrats voted for that $1.2 trillion that went to the top 1%. Well, no, no, no Democrats voted for that. It, that was all uh, Republicans, if I recall. Okay, so it was all Republicans. So yeah, but that, now Joe, so Joe Manchin didn't vote for that either. No, Joe Manchin did not vote for uh, for the tax cut, and neither did uh, Kristen Cinema. But okay. Kristen Cinema is now opposed, or she has uh, been opposed. I don't know if she's still opposed or not, but she's been opposed to increasing taxes on those who got the uh, tax cut, the top one percent. So we will we will see what happens when it gets to the Senate. But I think uh, we're going to be able to reward uh, the Biden administration with the third leg of its uh, uh, efforts to help America overcome the pandemic. And the first leg of it was the American Rescue Plan. The second is the bipartisan infrastructure deal. And the third is the Build Back Better. That will be uh, great accomplishments by the Biden administration in just one year uh, so far under, uh, with the country under his leadership. And I would point out that every week under the Trump administration, it was infrastructure week, but they never passed an infrastructure bill. And so we're doing something that is historic and very necessary. I can't talk can while it's muted, but anyway, I, I thank you for your time today, sir. Thank you for all the hard work you're doing. And uh, we're going to talk to Marilyn Strickland about the same thing, making sure that we do participate because uh, Black folks have been left out of Washington State for the last 23 years. We haven't had affirmative action. So we're working on that as well. And you probably will be seeing a copy of a complaint coming to the Assistant Attorney General for Civil Rights 
from a number of pastors and other organizations uh, in the African-American community. That'll be forthcoming. You might have it tomorrow. So thank you very much, sir. We appreciate you. Thank you. Thank All you right. Thank you for your great efforts also and keep it moving. All right. Then have a good holiday. We'll talk to you. Thank you. You too. Okay. We're going to take a break and come right back after this. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Talk radio for the heart and soul. Alternative time? Talk 1150. Okay, we're back with our esteemed Dr. E. Faye Williams, the National Chair and CEO of the National Congress of Black Women Incorporated out of Washington, D.C. She is featured in the Seattle Medium newspaper regularly, and she also is a host of her own radio program in Washington, D.C. She's no stranger to Seattle. Uh, So welcome to Urban Forum Northwest, uh, Dr. E. Faye Williams, and let us know what's on your agenda. Well, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to be on with you. Um, <clears throat> what I've been doing recently <clears throat> is watching all these trials that are going on around the country. And the second thing is um, working to get my book out there on Dick Gregory. You know, I have the book called Dick Gregory, Wake Up and Stay Woke. I've been promoting that. And, of course, I've been promoting uh, the documentary that he's in called The One and Only Dick Gregory. Uh, there is so much of our history, our civil rights history and all in that uh, documentary, so I hope your listeners will take a look at it. It's on Showtime On Demand. Uh, They can always see it, and it tells you a lot, because many people think that he was uh, a comedian, and that's it. They forget he was a nutritionist, he was a civil rights worker, human rights worker around the world. Well, we know out here, uh, he and his wife both did a lot of work with the Native American tribes. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, And uh, they were highly regarded, and uh, he went to jail several times uh, for fishing and for demonstrations in support of Native American tribes uh, mm-hmm. out in and the I, I do Seattle mention area. that in the, in the book that I've done recently about him. Um, 
you know, people often ask me, well, say, Dick Gregory has a lot that's been written about him, a lot that's been said about him. What makes your uh, book different? And I tell them all, I say, well, this is about, you know, other people have to research things often about him. Uh, th- these are personal experiences I had with him, uh, things that we talked about personally, what have you. And um, I, I think that makes it a little bit different. Someone told me last night, said, well, you tell a lot of his um, jokes in the book. You should just write a book about his jokes. I said, well, not that has been written about a lot. I don't really have to do that, but there are some that I know were his favorites, and I do mention those. Right now, what is, uh, I know you uh, got, went to jail, or got arrested anyway, for Actually, the demonstration. I'll be going to court on uh, the day before Thanksgiving. I, I don't know why they chose that day, but, you know, I'm, I don't celebrate Thanksgiving. I give thanks, of course, but I don't celebrate Thanksgiving uh, because of what it means to our Native brothers and sisters but I will be going to court next week, so I hope uh, your listeners will be sending up a little prayer that everything goes well. Uh, it was, it's, it's an interesting case. I didn't go, uh, or I won't be going because I was picketing um, or for, you know, rights or for our voting rights and all. What I'm going for is that when I was arrested, I had money and in, you know, in my belongings, and when I got ready to check out, the money was not there. <laughs> and what makes it important is that one of the police officers had come into the cell block where Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee and, um, and others were and asked if I had $20 bills, and I said yes. So I know that they were there, and then there was a young police officer who also witnessed that they were there, but when I checked out, they were not there. Boy, 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 that's not... <laughs> <laughs> Double jeopardy. So they having you go the day before Thanksgiving. So if they lock you up, that means you have cold turkey, huh? For Thanksgiving. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. You're you're comic today, huh? <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. talking to uh, Dr. Christian Gregory today. They said that they would bring me over, you know, uh, a plate of uh, 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 their Thanksgiving dinner, I suppose. But um, I, I've never been locked up for long. I mean, I've I've been arrested before. Uh, getting in good trouble, as they say, but um, never before uh, a holiday in the country or what is called a holiday in the country. Uh, so I'll let you know how I come out. That is, if you don't hear from me, then you know I may be spending uh, the, the day uh, there in, in, in a D.C. jail. And this was the Capitol Hill police, by the way. The Metropolitan D.C. police have enough trouble uh, as it is with uh, all of the you know the cases they have on um, harassment and, and, and uh, various things with police women in D.C., especially cadets. So uh, that's a big case. But um, the Metropolitan D.C., uh, I mean, the uh, Capitol Hill Police, they're just collecting all this money that, you know, you can pay in D.C. of $50 and get out. So I thought, why should I pay them another $50 if they've already taken money out of my money? <laughs> that's that's quite amazing. Go to jail and they put up you take your belongings and then you leave. You don't have your money. Absolutely, yeah. And of course, I mean, I I've had handcuffs on before for a picketing, but those were just ridiculous. My my hand was swollen by the time I got home because they were too tight, and I had told them that the um, that the handcuffs were too tight. Um, they claimed they lightened them up, but it was still too tight, and, and I had a swollen hand. So I have photographs of, of all of this. And, you know, they arrest you for blocking an entrance. entrance. And um, I have photographs showing I was nowhere near the, the uh, entrance. Actually, it was the police officer 
who was blocking the entrance and you know between the police officer and me uh, there was uh, Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee and others so I was nowhere near the the door they just make this big claim and people go there I noticed all week at the White House over 200 people have been arrested in one day and they just give up the $50 easily you know as if they're guilty of something and all people are doing is standing there saying, I want my equal rights. And I don't think it's fair for people to have to pay $50 just to go and express their First Amendment rights. And I, I agree with you, but uh, we're going to have to do a lot more of that with the way things are breaking down. What is Absolutely. your prognostication for the next election? Because, you know, I see this January 6th thing, insurrectionists. At the same time, there are people that are talking about the Republicans taking the House and taking the Senate. So are people just oblivious to the fact they're uh, opposing uh, to have the resources for women to go back to work by paying for child care and other things, uh, preschool, uh, for preschool and stuff like that? I just don't understand how some people could just ignore that. Uh, maybe it's, uh, uh, can you explain that to my our listeners? Well, you know, Why would they be in such favor? It sense, but here's what they do. They, uh, they don't vote for it because they simply want to oppose anything that the Democrats say is uh, good for the people and that the people want, because that is what uh, all the efforts show, that people want this. So they don't vote for it just to be mean, the mean-spirited. And then when it passes, they run back to their districts and brag about it as if they supported it. I mean, that, that's uh, such a pity that they would have to do that. And you think that in the entire Republican uh, caucus or whatever, there are only two people who have any, um, you know, have any thoughts about what is good for the people. All they think, or they're thinking about is what they think is good to keep them in office by people who are, are Trumpers or whatever they call themselves. So I, I think this year, though, the people are going to see through uh, what they're doing. They could not even stand up yesterday and vote to censure uh, a member of their caucus, Gozar, who even his own family has said that he does not deserve to be there, uh, that he, you know, he has some real mental problems and all, and yet only two Republicans could vote with the Democrats to censure him. It's not like they kicked him out of the, the Congress, which he deserved to do. But, um, you know, uh, Congresswoman AOC stood there yesterday, and she took them to school. She gave a masterpiece. Um, against what these Republicans do, or anyone who uh, talks about uh, women, who puts them down, who, who lies, who, who does crazy things. She covered the entire thing in just five minutes. I was so proud of her. I was so proud of all the women who stood up there. Uh, yeah, I was equally uh, proud of them, Dr. E. Pierre. Are you still there? Yeah, I was, I was just saying how proud I was of the women who stood there yesterday unafraid and um, you know, and and just took these people, these these Republicans who can't seem to vote right on anything, just took them to school. She was uh, she delivered a masterpiece, and I'm so proud of her as well as the other women who uh, stood up and and spoke on the issue and why it was so important uh, to take some action against ghosts. Would you give our listening audience uh, the infra the contact information for NBCW? NCBW, okay, it's the National Congress of Black Women. You can just go to uh, nationalcongressbw.org, nationalcongressbw.org, and you can get all the information you need there. I also have a website, doctor, abbreviated, Dr. E. Faye Williams, 
com, and you can get information about the book I wrote about uh, um, Dick Gregory uh, and a lot more information. But I also am now president of the Dick Gregory Society, and that website is just dickgregory.org, dickgregory.org. So I hope your listeners will be able to go to all three of those websites and find valuable information. Now, in terms of... Uh... Uh, that th- you don't have a chapter out here. We're looking to find for a chapter out here in the greater Seattle area, right? I know I have been trying, and I haven't been to Seattle lately, so I've not had an opportunity to meet anyone from there. But I hope among your listeners will be somebody who wants to do and lead in community service, and just a mere 10 people can start a chapter in the Seattle area. So I hope they will give me a call on 202 678 Six seven eight eight. That's two zero two six seven eight six seven eight eight. And in case they don't remember what the National Congress of Black Women is about, it's a service organization that was started by Dr. C. Dolores Tucker, Dr. Leslie Baskerville, Coretta Scott King, and so many uh, women. Even uh, Rosa Parks was active in the organization. Then Shirley Chisholm, the congresswoman, became the first president. I'm only the I'm only the third president in the history of the organization. I've been here for 16 years. Uh, I guess I must be doing something right because they continue to allow me to be their president. Uh, we do community service all across the country. California has four chapters, as a matter of fact. So it would be wonderful if we can connect with Seattle again. At one time, the organization met in Seattle, had one of its national conferences there. I hope some of those people are among your listeners. They will know that we're still here, we're still performing service, and with all the things that's been going on across the country, we need more people willing to give service or provide service in their communities. Well, Dr. Ife, we certainly appreciate your insight, your wisdom, your commitment to the struggle to liberate our people and stand up for justice, even if the police did steal your money. And I just hope to mention one thing. Uh, I'll, I know I'll be formally announcing it tomorrow, but I'm doing it first on your show. Uh, commissioned as an ambassador in the NGO United Nations, uh, I'll have a new title called Ambassador. My nephews have been teasing me and calling me Her Excellency Ambassador, but it's okay. My friends can okay. still call me Faye. Okay, Dr. Ife, thank you very much. We appreciate Love you. Well. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay, this has been uh, Eddie Rye with another edition of Urban Forum Northwest. I want to thank Sound Transit, Diverse uh, Sound Transit, uh, Port of Seattle, City of Seattle Personal Construction Services Division, and my friends out at the airport, and Stephanie Ogle uh, for her technology assistance. So, Eric, thank you very much. Mm-hmm.